0: Well, let's thank the Lord for each other. Well, <laughs> I really like the, uh, the lyrics in that uh, song we sang before the last one. I love the ones in the last one, too. But Jesus, your name is power, breath, and living water. And you know, the name of Jesus is the most beautiful and the most powerful name ever spoken And one day at the name of Jesus, just speaking that name, every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. And brothers and sisters, this morning, we are talking about the very words of Jesus. We're gonna talk about Matthew verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, Jesus says, "'You are the salt of the earth, and verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. And he's speaking to each one of us. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, it's interesting, what he doesn't talk about is you doing something. He talks about your and my very being. You are salt. You are light. But then he goes on to say, but if salt loses its saltiness or its flavor, how will its saltiness be restored? He says, it's good for nothing but to be cast out and thrown under the foot of men. And then about light, he says, you're the light of the world. A city that sits on a hill and it cannot be hid. A man does not light a light and put it under a bushel, but he says he puts it on a stand that gives forth light into all the rooms. So again, he's talking about, as believers, we are salt, we are light, but there's also a potential to be realized. We can be very salty. (laughs) Jesus was very salty. We can be very bright. Jesus was very bright. Or we can be just a little salty or just a little bright. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about our potential and what it would be to be salt and what it would be to be light and what does salt do and what does light do? Well, to be really salty and to be really truly full of light, we need to apply the first 10 verses that led up to verse 13 and 14. To be salty, we need to understand that spiritually we're impoverished. And because we understand our poverty, it takes us, it puts us in a very needy relationship with Jesus. With the mindset, Jesus, apart from you, I can do nothing. And begs the question, therefore, Jesus, since I cannot do anything, will you please live your life through me? And Jesus says, those people who live that way, who understand their spiritual poverty and live their life, as they, say, as they accept to me for salvation, bringing nothing to the table but need, will they continue to walk in me? As the Apostle Paul says, in the same manner that you accepted Christ as Lord, so continue to walk in him. The salty person is a person who mourns, who mourns every second that they are out of step, out of abiding with Jesus. And the result of that being out of step, the manifestation of the flesh and how that hurts all those around him, how it absolutely spoils every circumstance he or she finds herself in. And this mourning, it's it's a life of constant repentance, constantly turning, Father, I did it again, Father, I did it again, Father, I did it again. You know, Father, I will always do that (laughs) unless you show up. Again, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive. But then when we confess it, he cleanses us. He doesn't say you need to cleanse yourself. He cleanses us from all in us that is not right. And the mourn shall be comforted by the Holy Spirit who affirms to us how much we are loved. The salty person, the person with a lot of light, is the person who is also merciful. He gives grace to those people around him. And the basis of his mercy is he understands that he was running or she was running to hell just as fast as they could get there. And one day, Father just put his foot out and tripped him. And then extended grace to him, grace to understand the gospel, then grace to have faith, to accept it. Even that faith is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This same man is the man or woman who hungers and thirsts after all that's righteous. And the ultimate embodiment of righteousness is Jesus, the man or woman who hungers after that relationship with Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They shall be filled with the Holy Spirit. And blessed are the pure in heart. They seek God not for what he will do for them, but only for who he is. No motives, no mixture in their motives, only seeking him for who he is. And then he reveals himself to them. The next one are those who are persecuted. You know, brothers and sisters, if we become salty and we become light, we'll be persecuted. If you're a young person at ISB or some of these other schools, people are going to ask you to do things you know are not right. People are going to ask you to go places you are not know you're not supposed to go. Say things you're not supposed to say. Look at things you're not supposed to look at. And if you don't, people will make fun of you. They'll say, you're a sissy, you're this or that. Well, that's persecution. And if you're in the business world, the same thing will happen. You'll be asked to do things, to disclose things, or to just put a little different light on things than is the accurate picture. And if you don't do those things, you'll be excluded from the in-crowd. You'll be not so promotable. Then Jesus gets to this point, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Let's talk about salt for a minute. Salt is not even alive. It's just dead. But you take a piece of, if you take salt and just put it on a table and you take a piece of ice and put it on that salt, you know what'll happen? It'll melt the ice. You take a piece of meat and lay it on that salt, you know what'll happen? It will preserve it. And if you've got a cut on your hand and you put it on that salt, you know what'll happen? It will heal it. I used to have a butcher, and every time he'd cut his arm, he'd just pour salt into the wound. He said it also helped it not scar if you filled it with salt. Salt is not even alive, but everything that comes in contact with salt is affected and changed just by the very nature of the salt itself. And this is what happens when you and I get in fellowship that the first ten verses talked about, starting off with being poor in spirit, pure in heart, merciful, mournful, no agenda in our relationship with God other than him himself, what happens is we become salty. And then what happens is every person or event that comes in contact with your life and my life is just changed by our very relationship with Christ. Because as those people and those events come into our life, the life of Christ flows through us, and that changes things. It changes circumstances. It changes people. Okay, let's talk about that idea of salt melting ice. As you're abiding in Christ, boy, there's a lot of icy hearts in this world, aren't there? A lot of people who don't feel loved, don't feel cared for. As you follow Christ, you'll find him giving you a heart of compassion, reaching out, touching. If you're a businessman, you know it's very easy for business guys every day to eat lunch at their desk. But you know what? In your office, there's probably 50 guys who would love to have lunch with you and not talk about sports, and not talk about politics, and not talk about pollution, but say, how you doing? Tell me about your family. Are your kids in school? You know, the gift of presence is one of the greatest gifts we can give somebody. Most people have no one to talk to. Men don't have anyone to listen to them, other than their wives, and those relationships are complicated. You know why relationships relationship between men and women are complicated? It's like the old Apple computer and the IBM. They're different operating systems, and it takes a lot of complex software to get those things to communicate. Where men just communicate like this, I can communicate more with a man in five minutes than I can with my wife in five hours. But I love to communicate with my wife because that's a lot of fun. But it's a little more complex. Ultimately, you can take and share the gospel. And then the Holy Spirit will break people's heart and bring and then melt, melt those hearts, melt those hearts and bring them to a relationship with themselves. Salt, as we said, salt heals. And as you love people, as I love people, that brings healing to them. There's not many people who can have someone to talk to that don't judge them. Just listen to them, love them. Let them talk to you. Ask them questions. Oftentimes when a person talks, it's one of the most healing things they can do. Just hear themselves talk. Just get it out. And salt, what else does it do? It preserves. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world where every day we're tempted, every day we're tested. And as we're salt in this world, we can help people preserve their relationship with Christ. We come alongside them. We're like a couple little donkeys. We just kind of get up next to them. Let them share their load with us, we share that load with Jesus, and we're an encouragement. You know, someone has said, if you want to run fast, run alone. If you want to run far, run with someone else. And two are better than one, And three-fold cord is not easily broken. And we can help people preserve their relationship as we befriend them, as we love them, as we show them the grace of Jesus as we speak the truth of Jesus to them, as we listen to them, people probably need our attention more than they need our answers. Because just being with a person is one of the greatest ways we can love a person. So with salt, we have the opportunity to do all those things, to to melt hearts that feel very cold and unloved and uncared for, to bring healing to hearts that are broken, Speaking truth, reminding them of God's love, his reconciliation, that there's nothing you can do to lose his love. And also then the preserving of their relationship with Christ. He goes on to say in verse 14, you are the light of the world, a city that sets on a hill that cannot be hid. You know, it's very interesting. This is one of the amazing things that Jesus said to, the, to mankind because he said of himself, I am the light of the world. And now he turns to each one of you and says, you are the light of the world. So it's kind of like he's passed this baton, he's passed this torch on to you and on to me. And as you and I abide in him, his light, his life shines through us. In him was life and the life was the light of men, John 1. But he says, a man doesn't light a candle and put it under a bowl but he puts it on a stand that it can give light into all the, that is in the house. Now, what do you think the bowl is he's talking about? What bowl do we have that we could put over our light? Well, I would say the bowl that most of us have and that mankind has, it's, it's our own self, our own agenda, our own world. We don't want to get out of this bowl. It's about me. It's about me. It's about my work. It's about my health. It's about My person getting elected to office. It's about my car. It's about my house. It's about my friends. It's about my church. And our world becomes very very small. We are our world. That's the bowl that can snuff out the light of Christ in us. Jesus wants us to understand that that needs to go. You and I were purchased to be salt and light. This is something to be spent before the world, before mankind. He wants you and I to be this light, this city sitting on a hill, way beyond our own world. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and all those people he puts around us. First of all, the body of Christ and then the lost. And what, ha- what does light do? Does, does light say, I'm going to be intentional? No, light is just light. But light gives direction. If you're ever on a dark night and you're lost in the woods, you see a light, I see a light, We know where to go. We'll go to that light. And as you and I abide in Christ, it points people to the light. We don't even have to be intentional about it. It just does it. I had uh, lunch yesterday with uh, Taylor Gates, and I'm going to get the story wrong, but I'm going to get the point right. He uh, just graduated from film school this year, and in L.A., they go to this fancy studio, and they allow some of the top, film schools to to go in and have classes there but a lot of the employees in there especially this one man you know he kind of you well, know, it's a bunch of kids they think they're prima donnas you know they think they're going to be great you know he just kind of had this negative attitude toward them and there's several schools that go but taylor's group was in the habit of when they went into the studio before they started their production their all the stuff that they did they would pray they would pray together well some months later, he meets a guy from another school, and, uh, and he said, you know, something like, you know, we're at the same studio you're at, and he said, yeah, no, know. you know, that guy <laughs> who runs the steel, he talked about y'all always prayed. But he said, he said you were different than the other teams. You, you, you were very different. You were organized, you did this, you did that, you did that. He bragged, basically, on Taylor's team who prayed. Now, this guy probably wasn't even a believer. And they weren't trying to be intentional about praying. They, they, they weren't trying to impress this man. They were just doing Jesus. But someone saw it. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever observed somebody else? Have you observed somebody at church today? Did you look at someone's dress or someone's hair or lack of? If you've ever observed anybody, just know this. Somebody has observed you. Now, that's a scary thought. That's a scary thought, but somebody has observed you. Every day somebody observes you. So, you are the light of the world. And as you do do Jesus, people will observe that. What else does light do? It illuminates. You know, you can go into a a dark basement and look at the stuff. It looks pretty good. But you turn on the light and you go, oh... Those cobwebs, that snake, you know, this, you just can't believe what's in there. That's what light does. In fact, as a young married man with four children, almost, you know, a year apart except for the fourth one, Kathy not speaking in complete sentences in those days and hardly time to do things, no IEs in those days, I had rheostats on every light in my house. And when company would come, if there wasn't time to dust, Well, we just turned that rheostat down. Everything looked great. If you don't know what a rheostat is, a rheostat is something that just dims the light. And we just dimmed it down to the point where you couldn't see. (laughs) You couldn't see what hadn't been picked up and you couldn't see what wasn't clean. But what happens is you and I abide in Christ. It illuminates the darkness around us. Now, this will be sometimes problematic for you and I, brothers and sisters, because the darkness doesn't like to be exposed so to those who God has called to himself, this will be convicting to them. They will, he'll use it to call, bring them to repentance. It will be the, the aroma of Christ to them. But to those who are outside that pale of salvation, it will be the stench of death. And you and I may well be persecuted just because light is coming from us. Jesus says, you know, they can't hate you, but they hate me. But if they say hate me, they're going to hate you too. And that's just part of being soft and light. What else does life do? Well, light gives life. You know, none of these plants we have around here would make it without light. People without enough, I think it's D3 vitamin or one of those. I had a good friend who was in Russia with us. He had to take his wife out of the country because she just didn't get enough sunlight. It caused her depression. We need light. Light gives life. And as you and I are abiding in Christ, that light goes through. So it gives life to every circumstance we're in. It brings a positive spin. You know, most conversations between people are very negative. In fact, some I read recently or heard recently that the average person gets 150 negative things said to them every day. These lips, with our lips we bless, with our lips we curse. These lips are made to speak life, to speak life in the circumstance. If we don't have something positive to say, we shouldn't say it. But we've got a lot of things to be glad, there's a lot of things we can be thankful for, but speak life into our relationships. Speak life. Somebody says to you, you know, the weather is really polluted today. And say, oh yes, it really is. But I'm just glad I'm alive and uh, let's go inside and have a a (laughs) Coca-Cola. It's still positive, we can do it, we can do it. You are the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And this potential he's talking about, and he's, he's put it out there, is we can miss that potential. We can miss the potential of being that which we were recreated to be, salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus does not want that. We cannot lose our salvation, but we can lose our potential. Let me close and remind you those two words, vocation and occupation. That's what this is about. Vocation is a Latin word to call. It means the deep meaning, the deep calling on our life from the word voca. And occupation is a physical geographical place where we express our vocation. And you take a soldier, and it doesn't matter if he's in the shores of Tripoli, in Afghanistan, in the Pentagon, in a Nautilus submarine, You wake a soldier up in the middle of the night and you say, what are you? He will always say, I am a soldier because all of his identity is in his vocation. But you wake the average Christian up in the middle of the night and say, what are you? He'll say, I'm a lawyer, I'm a dentist, I'm a doctor, I'm a business guy, I'm a pastor, I'm a butcher, I'm a baker, I'm a candlestick maker. And we tend to have identity in where we occupy. But Father wants us to be of the mindset that if we're woken up in the middle of the night and someone asks us, What are you? We say, I am a son. I am a daughter. I am salt. I am light. I am a vessel in which the Holy Spirit lives. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And Father is going to strategically place me where every event and every circumstance will be affected and infected by my relationship with him. It's easy to work for Jesus than to walk with Jesus. It's easier to talk about Jesus than to talk to Jesus. It's easier to think about Jesus than to pray. And if Lucifer can get you and I working for Jesus and not walking with him, talking about him and not talking to him, thinking about him and not praying, he's got us. There's no salt. There's no light. Just a lot of work. But Jesus says, come abide in me and I will abide in you and when I abide in you, you will become very salty. You'll become full and filled with light. You will be fully filled, and that's his desire for each of us. Let me close this in prayer, then we will have one more song, I think. Father, um, thank you that you think about things in ways that we don't. Thank you that you create us to, to be something, not to do something, to be something for you. And help us to understand the simplicity of that, Father, that you simply call us to, to abide in you, that you can fill us with your your life, that that brings healing, that that brings life, that that melts cold hearts, Father, that that gives direction, that illuminates, uh, that expresses your love to a very broken and fallen world. And Father, we thank you that as things get darker in this world, uh, your light shines brighter. We thank you, too, that all the darkness in the world cannot put out or extinguish the smallest light. So, Father, give us the grace to give ourselves to you without reservation that you might live your life through us without restriction. And we make this prayer in the name of Christ. Amen.